We invite you to turn this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're continuing our journey through this letter, step by step, section by section, verse by verse, sometimes word by word, to see how Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructs the church to execute God's plan. That's what we're looking at today. Um, we've spent three chapters talking about God's eternal plan of salvation, a, a, a plan that began before the foundation of the world, a plan that will never end because we are secured for all of eternity in the Holy Spirit. When we come to chapter 3, we find Paul beginning to tell us what this plan actually looks like in the life of the church. When we get to chapter 4 and following, we're going to see that in even more detail. But this morning, we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 3. My focus is going to be on verses 7 through 13, but let me invite you to stand as we read the first 13 verses together of Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, <coughs> members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light the plan for, to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal plan that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the conviction and the comfort of your word. We thank you for the challenge of your word. We thank you that part of your eternal plan is the church. Father, we pray this morning as we spend a few moments with you in your word, that you transform us individually, but us corporately also into the image of Christ in whom we are called his body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. In his book, Radical, written several years ago, Pastor David Platt is known for his declaration that the church is God's 
plan A. The church is God's plan A to reach the nations with the gospel, and there is no plan B. This is his only plan. I think Dr. Platt is on to something here since this is almost exactly what the Apostle Paul says in this passage. Beloved, Paul is, is clear in these verses. He says, according to the eternal purpose of God, the church is to make known the manifold wisdom of God that is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, I pray that I and I pray that we, with everything in me, I pray that we never take for granted the stewardship of God's grace that is given to us to proclaim Jesus to the world. That same stewardship that He's given me to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that together we will proclaim that manifold witness of His eternal purpose that's found in Christ Jesus. Those saints that God has called me to equip today are, are you. It is you who are sitting in front of me right now. It is us, we, who are planting a new church for the purpose of God's glory and the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sharing that with this community, this region, this state, this nation, and around the world. All the way back up in verse 1, Paul was about to pray. He was about to pray for the church at Ephesus. We know this because Paul says, for this reason. And then he stops. He stops his thoughts so that he can open the hearts of the saints of the household of God to the beauty of the mystery of the gospel. We know he was about to pray because in verse 14, he starts over again. He says, for this reason, and then he prays. As I was thinking about this, beloved, if, if what the Holy Spirit put on Paul's heart to write to the church was so important that Paul paused praying, we better take notice. Because it's got to be pretty important. And we need to listen and listen closely. Let me read again beginning this time in verse 7 because this is where I want to take our thoughts from this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. In this passage, we see a fourfold calling of God. 
a fourfold calling of God to His church. First is God's call to the individual, the call to each one of us. Second is a call to the church. Third is a call to suffer. And fourth is a call to persevere. I've already mentioned verse 7 from last week, and this is Paul's individual call to serve as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but the bridge here is too important not to make note of it again. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9. Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. I was made a minister. Paul is squarely placing the birth and the development of his call to serve Christ on the gift of God's grace. Paul details this some in 1 Timothy chapter 1 when he says, I thank Him who has given me the strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Listen to what Paul says. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Beloved, we can all echo Paul's words here. Your testimony may not be as dramatic as Paul's, but there was a day when we were all blasphemers, persecutors, insolent opponents, ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it was that very gospel that Jesus died for our sin and rose for our salvation that saves even me, that saves even us, the foremost of sinners. And it is this gospel that compels us as saints of God even the least of all the saints. It's this very gospel that compels us to preach to the Gentiles and to the whole world the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to that end, we all have a calling from the grace of God in His working power in our lives to join together with His church. We're going to see how the church ministers that gospel in just a few moments. No, we are not all called to be pastors or elders or missionaries or teachers. But we all are called and commanded to go make disciples. Paul says in verse 9 of this passage, to bring to light... For everyone, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages 
in God who created all things. And so we may ask how. How do we bring to light for everyone this mysterious plan? You know, I'm thankful that Jesus gave us the answer to that. In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, He opens up His work by saying, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Listen to this last verse. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. How do we spread the light of the gospel? It starts with Jesus. This was Jesus' message in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes, whoever does not believe, is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is what Jesus says. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. The world is dark and is living in the death of darkness. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the life of the world. And the light of Jesus, he says, shines through you and me. Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before others that they see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is the individual call. That is the individual call. But beloved, if we stay in the world of the individual, we become isolated, we falter, we fall, we stumble, we become weak. I read an article this week that warned of the temptation of walking alone. When I read this quote, you're going to hear me refer to the celestial city. The author here is speaking of John Bunyan's work, The Pilgrim's Progress, and he refers to heaven, that place where we are all traveling as the celestial city. The author says this, There is a temptation for believers to want to journey to the celestial city alone. It is their drive to stay isolated and grow, though apart from other Christians. But this has hurt countless Christians and left many to walk through tough, tedious, and sometimes defeating spiritual battles all alone, devoid of encouragement, counsel, prayers, and admonitions. We enjoy isolation from our spiritual community to our own detriment. 
And so let's look at the second call this morning from this passage, and that is the call to the church. Look at verses 10 and 11. So that through the church, the manifold witness of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was, in, this was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that through the church. Remember how Paul has already described the church back up in chapter 2. He says we are fellow citizens with the saints and fellow members of the household of God. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. He is in whom the whole structure is being joined together. And we join, we grow into a holy temple of the Lord. And in him we are being built to the very dwelling place of God. By His Spirit. That is the church that Paul is speaking of here. Beloved, we need each other. We need fellow citizens of the household of God to walk with us and sometimes to walk for us. We cannot isolate ourselves because Paul says the ministry of the gospel is too important. Friends, we can't take it too seriously. If we look at verse 10, Paul says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is on full display. What is the manifold wisdom of God? When you hear the word manifold, we probably think of a, of a pipe or a chamber or something that has multiple openings. Way back, it seems like a thousand years ago, when I worked for the city water department, when we would go and set a water service for an apartment building, we would run one line off of it, and off of that would be several different feeders. We called that a manifold. Some of you may be mechanics and understand what a, an exhaust manifold is, as it pulls the gases off of the engine, collects them, and then sends them to the pipes that will expel it. Here we have a little bit different picture. Manifold in the Greek language sometimes means multicolored. It's an artistic term that indicates the diversity of colors that are used in works of art or architecture. And so let's think about this picture. If we look back up in chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Notice this picture that Paul is painting. We, the church, the temple of God, the, the dwelling place of His Spirit. We are diverse and God is taking that diversity and working a beautiful temple. A beautiful, multicolored manifold. The wisdom of God's workmanship in His church is that we who were dead in our trespasses and sin. Both Jews and Gentiles are now the temple of God. We are God's masterpiece. We are various blends of men and women that God is building into His church for one purpose. 
And that purpose is that the wisdom of God would be made known. That it would be made known to lost men and women of this world, but also that it would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The glory of God is spread to reach all of creation, the visible and the invisible, the powers and the authorities, the righteous and the unrighteous. No one can miss God's glory in the wisdom of His beautiful church. But we look at the church from the inside. And sometimes we don't see beauty. Sometimes we see ugly. The book I'm reading and will probably be our next small group study speaks of the church this way. The author is comparing the church to a to an outpost or an embassy of God's kingdom. The authors write this. Heaven touches down on planet earth through our gathered churches. And when this happens, you offer the citizens of your nation the hope of a better nation. The residents of your city the hope of a better and lasting city. No matter what the challenges you face, it should rest on the King Himself who is establishing His heavenly kingdom in the outposts that we call the local church. What is the church? They answer this question this way. It is a group of people who know they have been loved by Christ and have begun to love one another like that. God is building in His local church a workmanship of beauty that displays His manifold wisdom to all of creation. This is beautiful. This is marvelous. This is peace. This is hope. This is grace. And this is love. And this is everything that we desire until we walk out those doors. Paul stated in chapter 3, verse 1, we begin reading this, this morning that he is a prisoner. Later in chapter 6, verse 20, he's going to say, I am bound by Roman chains. There is a dichotomy here in these verses. Paul says that we are the household of God. Fellow citizens for His glory. We are alive. We are stewards of God's grace. We are a beautiful masterpiece of His kingdom. But Paul says, I am in prison for you. And in chapter 3, verse 12, he says that he is called to suffer. He says, I am suffering for you. Why? Why is Paul suffering? And what does he mean when he says, I am suffering for you? Friends, in our self-saturated world of do better and get more, that false ideology begins to bleed into the church. We have false teachers, false prophets, gospel charlatans, yelling from televisions and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and a thousand podcasts that are infecting the hearts and minds of believers 
with the lie that if you do good, if you have enough faith, God will bless you with health and wealth and prosperity and a huge church and a lot of followers with a whole bunch of likes and retweets and social media quoting your wisdom. Beloved, that is a lie. Straight from the pits of hell. Beloved, Paul says, if we are strong in our faith, if we really, really believe that Jesus is the Redeemer of a lost and sinful world, Paul says you'll go to jail. He says you'll be persecuted. He says you'll be beaten, harmed, robbed, and killed. Because that is the response from the world for being a church of Jesus Christ. Let me briefly demonstrate from the authoritative, inherent, inspired, infallible Word of God. Matthew chapter 5 verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account. First Peter chapter 3. Now who is there to harm you. If you are zealous for good works. But even if you should suffer. For righteousness sake. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Nor be of trouble. Paul writes to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3. You have followed my teaching. My conduct. My aim in life. My faith. My patience. My love. My steadfastness. It would be nice if he stopped there. But Paul goes on and says, You have followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John says, Jesus says in John 15, If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then in verse 20 of that passage, he says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Just by way of a reminder, that's John chapter 15. Where John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Abide in him. Bear much fruit. We adore the promises of God to bless and enrich our lives. And beloved, we should. We should adore those promises and we should cling to them. But we cannot forget that God has also promised that our godly lives will make us enemies of this world and we will suffer persecution. And we will suffer it for the church. In writing about his suffering, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I sometimes wonder if indeed what Paul says here, if all who live godly in Christ Jesus suffer persecution, and that persecution is for the advancement of the gospel in his church, I sometimes wonder Because the church suffers so little here in our culture. I wonder first, are we truly living godly lives? 
Or are we living churchy lives? And secondly, do our lives and does our church advance the hope of Jesus? Are we confronting the lost world with the truth of sin and the need for repentance? This is going to sound strange, but I pray as we launch this new church, I pray it's marked by faithful suffering for the sake of the gospel. I don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to suffer. And I'm not asking us to pursue pain and then call it persecution. My prayer is that we would just be faithful to the gospel call of being a ministry, of being a church, of displaying the manifold wisdom of God. And that, as men and women come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, it is marked by rejection of this world. Because lastly, in this section of, of Paul's letter, we find the call to endure. Verses 12 and 13. Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Which is, your, which is your glory. The call of the church to persevere, to endure, to not lose heart. Friends, we become so easily discouraged. We become so easily depressed and anxious. We become so easily withdrawn and isolated. And Paul says, do not lose heart. Persevere in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, He went to the cross. He laid down His life and died for our sin and rose again for our eternal life. In Him, in Christ, our identities are swallowed up so that we become Christ's followers and we are surrendered to the church and in that we can stand in boldness and confidence through our faith in Christ. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 writes, For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can we find contentment in weakness, in insults and hardships? Can we find contentment in persecutions and calamities? In those things, can we be content? And not just content, but can we find joy? The apostles, Peter and John, were beaten in Acts chapter 5. In verse 41, we get this summation statement. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. Rejoicing. 
that they've been counted worthy to suffer. James opens his letter in chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in sufferings. Beloved, God is working His eternal plan to bring redemption of all things under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That plan is unifying lost and dead humanity to the living God through His risen Son and the working of the Holy Spirit. That plan is unifying the most divisive of people with the most colorful of backgrounds into one household, one another as fellow citizens of God's household. That plan is God's call to individuals to steward the grace of the gospel and to come together in the manifold beauty of God's masterpiece, His church. And that plan will be violently rejected by the world. The world hates God. The world hates His creation. The world hates His church. The world hates the gospel. And that plan is for you and me, His called and assembled church, to take the hated gospel message to lost and dying people who will hate us for it, but to persevere in the persecutions as God redeems His chosen through our suffering. Beloved, we will suffer. We will suffer in life because of illnesses and death and relationship explosions and tragedies and other things. But as Christians, as Christians, we will suffer for our faith. And that suffering is for the church. Don't lose heart, Paul says. Be confident. Be bold. Be content. It is for His glory and the glory of His church. You may think that's not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for this kind of suffering. But if we are truly called and redeemed, This is what God calls us to. He adopted you into this before the foundation of the world. He gifted you with grace and faith to walk in the good works He prepared. He made you part of the manifold beauty of His masterpiece, His workmanship. He made you part of His church. And He empowered us together as His church He empowered us with His Holy Spirit to endure. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day for boldness in the Lord. For confidence in the gospel. Friends, today is the day not to lose heart. Let me invite you to pray with me and meditate this morning as I read 
from the psalmist, Psalm 121. We stand in this time of prayer, this time of meditation. As we hear the words of the psalmist. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, we need your help. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your redemption. We need your salvation. We need, we need your masterpiece. The church that you are building. Held together by the head who is Jesus Christ. Formed and constructed by your revelation to the apostles and prophets. We need each other. You have called us individually to take the gospel. You have called us corporately to be a picture of the gospel. It is fearful to know that when we are faithful to you, the world will reject. And there will be suffering. There will be times of persecution. There will be times when you are reviled through our witness. And so I pray... Because we need your endurance. We need your persevering power. Father, this morning I pray for the one who is here who doesn't know you. I pray for the one that you're speaking to in this very moment. Calling them to repent and believe. Calling them today to be saved. Calling them to surrender their life to you that they can become part of this manifold wisdom of God. This beautiful masterpiece of your church. I pray for that one who needs to know you today. That you would call them and that in that call they would repent and believe. I pray for your church. Even this church as we are still very much in our infancy and in planting, I pray that you give us a spirit of perseverance. That we never forget the call that you put on our lives individually, never forget the call you put on our lives corporately to be your church. And Father, that in that church we can endure whatever it is that the world may throw. And we can suffer for each other for the glory of the gospel. The proclamation of your truth. We pray for a peace that passes understanding. We pray for a hope that's found only in Christ. Father, this week as we enter into the celebration of Easter, we're reminded that today is Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus came into the kingdom.
into Jerusalem. To the shouts of acclamation, people standing and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And Father, we know that by Friday, many of those people were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And so, Father, I would pray this week that you would keep it fresh on our hearts. And that Jesus went to a cross. That he died for our sins. And this Sunday morning, he rose again. That we can have life everlasting. And abundant life here. That we take up our cross and follow him. We trust you and we love you in Jesus' name.